This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Elliot Newman is the special effects supervisor on Prehistoric Planet, now with Season 2. We chat about the new dinos on the show and incorporating an existing environments here on our planet Earth in our time. Plus his work on Lion King and Jungle Book. I, uh, I have to say, uh, before we start that, uh, officially anyway, that the 10-year-old boy in me is very happy to see these dinosaurs come to life. <laughs> very good. Very good. I mean, it's really an amazing series. And I digested season one and looked at all the special features. And uh, it is just an amazing effort to really not only bring them to life, but to seamlessly incorporate them in the uh, environments that they're in. It's really amazing. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, it was a great, great project to be involved in. Brilliant. You know, fascinating. And, you know, I, I learned a lot about prehistoric times working on it, you know, three years in the making. And uh, it was as interesting as it was for me, as it was for the paleontologists and everyone on the science side is, you know, we were kind of both learning from each other, really. It was a fun experience. More with Elliot Newman talking prehistoric planet here on Sci-Fi Talk. So stay tuned. As far as the process itself, uh, as visual effects supervisor, when do you come into this? I guess pretty early during pre-production, so you kind of know what you can need, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I joined uh, the the project. Um, I think it was at the tail end of 2019. Um, at that point, a lot of the stories were already pretty much hashed out in terms of um, there were there were animatic storyboards written. There was a script. Um, and they were already into the sort of first phases of the previous process, which is um, it's kind of like a storyboard, but in 3D and mm-hmm. sort of drop mode. So I was kind of involved at that point. And then, you know, in, in that early phase, that's when you start building the characters and the various dinosaurs and animals that we had to build and portray. So that was kind of the early phases of the project was was fleshing out the previous and, and the build side of it. As far as... When you when the the animation is all done, I guess talk about what it's like to you. Plus, there are also people going out shooting the background plates too, or for the amazing environments. And they're ironically, they're actually real environments here on Earth, which is really cool. How do, how does that marriage work between the uh, the CGI and the uh, and the actual environments? Well, the previs is kind of the starting point. You know, you have you have a, a you know the storyboards give you a sort of rough idea. The previs gives you a slightly better rough idea, um, but that kind of really informs um, the story that you're that you're trying to go for. So it kind of gave us the grounding then to say, okay, we we know the the type of locate. You know, it's a snowy environment or it's a, a desert scene. So we kind of knew roughly locations that we needed to go. Um, and the previous also just kind of gave us an idea of camera. You know, they kind of gave us an idea of, is this a wide shot? Is this a close up? Um, you know, is it seven minutes? Is it five minutes long? You know, how, how long is this sequence? So it kind of really helped us really plan. You know, the visual effects process is quite, is quite methodical. It's quite procedural in nature. Um, it's very technical. So it's, it's very different to going to a location and, and shooting documentary of, of animals that exist, you know, that's, that's a lot more, you kind of turn up and you, you shoot what you're seeing and what's happening. Whereas this is a more prescribed process. And that's kind of why the previous was important because 
it, it kind of facilitated that planning aspect. Um, and so, you know, when we were on location, it was about, yeah, photographing effectively empty scenes, you know, and saying, okay, well, this is a, this one's a 50 millimeter, the camera's moving to left from left to right. This is the sort of rough pacing or rough speed of this dinosaur. We had cardboard cutouts that helped us as well to get the scale. So we had like, if it was a T-Rex, it would just be a head, <laughs> you know, and then we'd have, um, we'd have poles and then sort of, we'd use drone cameras as well for eyeline and that, that was kind of the approach. And then the, the animation process was just sort of a, you know, a continuation of the previous. So we, we move into those sort of more finalized dinosaur assets at that point. Once we've got the, the, the plate shot, the photography's in the house, kind of know roughly what the camera's doing, you know, what the environment looks like. We LIDAR scan the environment as well. <clears throat> so that gives us like a 3D environment to work from. And then the animators really get into the secondary animation phase, which is, you know, detailed animation study. And for that, they would look at, you know, all sorts of reference material of, modern day animals that we can say are sort of similar somewhat. Um, obviously that is also quite scarce if you're dealing with a, you know, 20 ton sauropod, but um, you know, it was, it was a, an exploration really from animation from day one and, and, you know, working very closely with Darren Nash, the paleontologist, the chief scientist on the show. <clears throat> and, and also the kind of the background of, the, of all the consultants that just kind of guided us really, because it was, it was really just about us saying, okay, we, we can animate anything but there's a way to animate a particular sauropod based on, you know, the, the, what they understand scientifically about how they move, you know, the skeletal uh, uh, structures, you know, there's, there's footprint records that tell us they had this type of gait, you know, so it was all, it was all about sort of getting the right scientific guidance and our, you know, our MPC artistry was just, you know, applying that to that knowledge really and saying, okay, we're going <clears> to <throat> bring these things back to life, but in a way that's, as realistic as possible. And that was the same with the photography. It's the photography needs to feel like it was something happening that we were just filming. Yeah. You know, we literally, you know, the idea was we had a time machine and we went back and we filmed them and that's the experience. So you want people to feel like you're literally watching something that very much could have happened and the science is there. And, and uh, <clears throat> obviously working with, with the natural history, unit, you know, the BBC, Mike Gunton, bring us that documentary flavor as well in terms of the blue chip documentary sort of how how would you film this how would you approach it how close would you get would you be on a long lens would you be on a wide lens you know it's it was a you know it was a great collaboration you know visual effects natural history paleontology and science it was it was a special special collaboration i think probably one of the challenges and this i didn't know before that t-rexes could allegedly swim which was amazing but you have this real body of water. You have the CGI, uh, you know, T-Rex there, and mm -hmm. he's moving, and that's affecting the water. Talk about yeah. marrying the existing. I guess that has to be really carefully synced with the environment. Yeah, it was one of those things where we were sort of early on sort of planning, you know, how are we going to approach this? Because we were all sort of thinking the same thing. How do you blend CGI water with real water? Um, you know, we're not going to be able to match wake for wake that, you know, the animation properties of, of the real water. I think what ended up happening was one of those things was like, as long as you've kind of roughly got the right flavor, you can kind of, it, you can get away with blending it fairly easily. It turned into one of those, this isn't actually as difficult as we thought it was going to be. As a water volume, you can't really track texture on, on the surface. You know, it's, it, it doesn't really have to be perfect for you to kind of be convinced. 
So, you know, it was just important for us to get the correct characteristics of like, you know, the choppiness and the sort of the scale and the, the velocity of, of, of the wake and, you know, as a general thing. And then making sure that the area that the T-Rex is influencing is, is driven by our simulation, you know. Um, and that was the main thing is that, you know, you've, you've, we've got an MTC plate but there's a T-Rex in it. So the T-Rex is going to cause quite a big wake. It's going to cause ripples and splashes. So that's obviously the area you simulate. And then you have like a, you know, sort of some undulating water surrounding it. You kind of build a, a bigger circumference around the T-Rex than you necessarily need. And then it's the compositor's job and the lighter's job to make sure everything sort of lines up and matches. The thing that surprised me was how colorful the dinosaurs were. And uh, yeah. almost like, and, and I mean, they are related to modern birds, so yeah. which is amazing. Uh, I guess that probably came from the paleontology area. And then you guys set to bringing all these amazing colors. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely challenging. You tend to, with CGR, you tend to sort of steer away from color because it's kind of one of those things that, that kind of shows its hand very early in, in CG. So a lot of the times when you watch visual effects work, you tend, it tends to be desaturated because it tends to look more realistic that way. So it was kind of a, a technical challenge in itself to say, well, you know, we're going we're gonna to build this uh, Hatsagopteryx you know, display sequence and it's going to have this frill, which is like super colorful and vibrant. He's like, well, that's kind of the opposite of what you'd naturally do. <laughs> but I think it was, yeah, I mean, obviously it was all, all of it was was grounded by the science and and the sort of the, what we were portraying was the most accurate version of what we think these things look like and using sort of, yeah, studies of, of modern day animals and how you can sort of relate to, uh, you know, the, the evolution of these things. And so um, that was a part of it. And obviously, you know, throughout the series a lot of it's about um mating displays you know we had that sort of funny sequence on on series one with um with jazz hands you know <laughs> with the colorful hand display so it's kind of like a, a sort of a continued theme throughout is that you know the males tend to be more colorful and they you know they're kind of trying to win a mate and uh, it's, it's just really just about careful um implementation and saying okay well we also kind of came from you know, our background with Lion King and these other uh, sort yeah. of productions has sort of also given us a really good grounding on, you know, what is melanin? How does melanin affect things? And sort of we we also kind of drill into the science of it as well. It's not it's not just about you know CGI and and rendering technology. It's also about the study of anatomy, the study of of um, biology and things like that to kind of help inform us to say, well, these are the choices we should make. Because it's not just about which color the artist picks. It's actually a, there's actually a specific there's a, a set of rules really to to sort of you know adhere to. So it kind of you know a lot of that sort of background we had over those years of of developing um, realistic fur rendering was also kind of useful in this domain as well. Because in this case we can't just point at a lion and say well that's what a lion looks like. This is the sort of melanin that we're dealing with here, and this is the profile of the hair. We have a lot less to work from, but what we can look at, as you've mentioned, is, you know, birds, for example, things that exist today, how colorful are they, you know, what's the, you know, what's the pigmentation and just doing it in a way that's, again, just as convincing as possible, but just being bold with it and saying, well, you know, we're, we're not, we're not trying to be, we're not trying to replicate what everyone's sort of preconceived thoughts of what these things might look like. It's like, well, no, we're, we're here to represent 
the current day scientific representation of what we understand they look like. And that was the really important driving force that <clears throat> then it was just our job, you know, as visual effects practitioners to make sure that it was convincing in the end, you know, and it, it looked realistic. There is more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. Yeah, it's amazing. So many different environments in this was, I mean, you have, you're going from Arctic, you're going to forests, you're going near the ocean. Uh, was there anyone that was a real challenge to incorporate the dinos into? Question. Um, snow was is always difficult. We had we had a, a sequence of deep snow. That's super challenging. It's similar to water interaction. Uh, in some ways, it was kind of harder because it was almost like we had this sort of conundrum. Where it's like, well, how does an animator animate a character in deep snow if you haven't done the snow simulation yet? So it was like, well, we can't do the snow simulation until you've done the animation. So it was kind of a bit of a back and forth. That one that was that was challenging. I would say some of the underwater stuff, although it wasn't plate-based, a lot of it was was full CGI. I'd say the ammonites were really tricky as as characters in a sort of you know alien characters in in a to us anyway alien world that you're not used to. You know, it's like it's 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 easier for us to believe uh, you know desert environments or even even the snowy environments I've just described. But underwater ammonites were just sort of so bizarre you know it's like you haven't got a lot really to kind of go off in terms of what we know and what you know what these things might look like so that that was conceptually challenging i'd say um in that respect i'm trying to think of of anything else really um they they all they all had their own challenges um you know and, and also shooting in real locations meant that like i was saying at the start you can plan for months and months and months but the reality is you might turn up to a location and the conditions are different or the environment's different to, to how you anticipated it or how you planned for it to be. So there is always an element of you kind of have to be a little bit dynamic on the ground and sort of say, okay, well, we were expecting it to be frozen, but it's not, or, you know, the other way around, or, um, you know, we were hoping the sequence would be sunny and it's not, it's cloudy. And, and so the real locations kind of were, were good because it gave you that authenticity of like, well, that is kind of also what it's like to shoot documentaries. It's like, you just, you can't, it's not art directed lighting conditions. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's what happens on the day that you're there and you have to just cope with that. And I think uh, just sort of bouncing back to your original question, probably I'd say one of the harder ones were, were the, were the forest scenes um, mm. with the, with the bigger dinosaurs, big sauropods, big predators in the forest. Those are tricky because it's hard to build um, realistic 3D environments of big trees and plants. So you tend to obviously shoot those things as plates, but then you've got the problem of canopies create dappled shadows. These big dinosaurs would have brushed against the trees and the branches. <laughs> and, and you know, the, the whole thing is kind of like a an integration issue um so it, that that was quite difficult i'd say probably actually hardest i'd say out of all of them that's actually some of my favorite ones actually that in the oh, beach good. scenes were really good yeah. i really appreciated that and i i looking at it i said i know these guys really worked on this you can see it in every frame it's really there yeah uh, you know you worked on the lion king and that broke so much ground um you know uh, i think it was Maybe it might have been the first time the volume was used, you know, that is being used now uh, also with John Favreau on uh, on The Mandalorian series like that. Is that the case that was used for the first time there? 
Uh, well, vir- virtual production is is probably the more accurate term. Yeah, um, okay. Sort of first, you know, our first foray into that was on Jungle Book with you know yeah. with John. Um, Lion King was kind of that again, but on steroids. It, it, a lot of it was was about Lion King was a very different production to this one, mainly because it was a full CGI. So yeah. You know, we, we kind of had similar John, – John was always a big fan of the documentaries sort of style and sensibilities of, of, you know, we were looking at Planet Earth and Blue Planet and all these things as our reference for doing Lion King, you know, back in 2017. And so we kind of we kind of used that, that virtual production space to kind of, like, scout our, these environments. So we'd build, like, a, you know, CGI, Savannah um, environment, you know, you would then put on the VR goggles with John and you'd scout locations. Yeah, we want to film here. You'd stage the action and you'd shoot it with virtual cameras. And that was kind of the previous process, which is similar to the previous on Prehistoric Planet. Um, main difference being that you, on Lion King, you go from that into full animation production, whereas on this, it's an inform a f- information pass for the location photography. And then you go into your, your visual effects pass. So I'd say it was more the virtual production side. John, John obviously has been working a lot on the Mandalorian. So that, that's more the kind of LED volume, you know, uh, where they build um, 3D environments then to effectively replace what was traditionally a green screen. <clears throat> and so you have a real camera on a real actor, but all your stage lighting and your backdrop is driven by your LED volume, which gives you your... It's digital photography, but it also gives you a lighting on your character. Everything looks in, it's basically in camera visual effects really is the best way of describing it. So those, those weren't really applicable on Lion King or on this production because of the use of real location photography and Lion King was, was full CGI. Yeah. I mean, Jungle Book and Lion King, the, the job you all did was just amazing to make them look as real and as real animals as possible. And um, you it was very easy to suspend disbelief. It really was. So that was uh, that was really quite an effort. Uh, so was it John that recruited you for this? It was. Yeah, I mean, it was just a it's just continuation, really. It was. Um, you know, I, I'd finished Lion King. Um, yeah, like I said, it was sort of uh, summer of twenty nineteen. Just finished that. Heard about prehistoric planet. Um, it was. It was a project that was coming to MPC. Um, you know, I had the pedigree of, of working with, with John on those, on those projects already. So it was a kind of a good fit for me. I was available to do the project and, it, you know, the, the collaboration continued, you know, that way. And, and you know, I had, had a great team behind me as well in, in London and in India and, and Montreal to help, to help on it. So it was a, you know, three year, pro- it's actually a longer project for me than, than the Lion King in the end. It was, <laughs> it was a good three years, um, you know, and, uh, my first, uh, my first time on an episodic as well, which is also quite new. So um, yeah, no, it was, it was just it was just a continuation really, because because John you know is is enjoyed working with us. Like I said, he he was we were looking at Planet Earth and and these series before, you know, as, as style guides anyway. You know, so it was just it was kind of in some ways um, you know just the perfect timing that you know now now we're going to work with BBC and uh, the the natural history unit there and we're going to you know work with the people the very people that we were you know inspiring us in terms of the previous show we were working on so it was um it was an interesting uh, journey 
Yeah, having David Attenborough adds a lot of authenticity to this. It absolutely. really does. Yeah, it is so. Yeah. It was so cool to get him, and uh, yeah, he's right. such yeah. a wealth of information. Anyway, yeah. but uh, yeah. yeah, that was really, really cool. Yeah, season two is. Is there any changes that you made from a production standpoint or visual effects standpoint? Obviously, you had all of one to kind of yeah take there and improve helps. upon it. Yeah, it helps. Definitely gave us a grounding. Um, you know, we had you know, sort of, a, I think it was like something like 58 new dinosaurs and assets to build for season two, but there was an element of, you know, I think about 50% of them were actually taken from the first season. So it definitely helped. I'd, I'd say, the you know, the animation team probably, animation and the asset team probably more, more so than anyone else because they were starting to understand you know, how to animate a Triceratops, you know, and, and these types of things. And um, having the previous season to go off was a really, you know, just understanding those things was a really, you know, strong platform. I'd say it was more just just a refinement of process, really. It, was, it wasn't drastically different. We had, um, we had production units. We kind of divvied up the work in, in sort of sequences and said, you know, I had Andy Hargreaves, my my unit two um, VFX soup for MPC. He was looking after a lot of the underwater sequences, for an example, you know. And um, you know, Kirsten, my other VFX soup, was looking after a, another chunk of sequences. So we we kind of divided the work up, um, you know, so that things could happen in parallel. Um, you know, we didn't have to have everyone in every meeting all the time, all the time, you know. So it was, and then I was sort of keeping an eye on things as a whole. So yeah, in terms of production management, very similar to, to, to the first series. I think it was just, um, it was more about refining certain details that, you know, we think we could do better. You know, do we need to do quite as many iterations on this? Maybe not. This turned out to be, you know, easier than we thought it was going to be. So let's do this this way, you know, and it was that type of thing. It wasn't like, you know, we didn't have to sort of tear up the script and say we've got to approach this differently because you know the first series worked pretty well. The other big difference with series two is we had a lot of the photography already, you know, was already in house. We already kind of shot a lot of the the photo photography before we actually started, which was very different to the first season, where it was a lot more sort of we were having to attend a lot more of the shoots on location. You know, our presence on on the shoots was really important, so we. We had a lot of people out of office for those shoots at the time. And whereas in season two, we were kind of all ready, you know, everything was ingested, everything was shot, you know, we were kind of more in a position to kind of just get into the production side of it, mm -hmm. post-production side of it, really. So that, that kind of was beneficial, I'd say, more so than, than the first season. So with even though with that well done, how long would it take to complete a season so people get an idea of the amount of work? Um, well, I mean, obviously, seasons one and two was about three years, but that doesn't really, it's probably more about three and a half for MPC, but then you've got probably wow. about six months to a year of, of development work that the BBC was taking care of. I mean, Mike was was developing this show for about 10 years, you know, before, before any of these even though it knew it existed. Yeah. So, in, but in terms of, yeah, in terms of um, our involvement, I'd say season two was probably a year of that, but, if you consider, it depends at what point you start the countdown because, <laughs> you know, we, we we had sequences on season two with a Triceratops, but we'd already animated a Triceratops and had it built from season one. 
So do you include that time? It's kind of, you know, it's, it's, yeah. probably, more, it's probably more accurate to say for, for MPC's involvement, including the previous, it was probably just over three years of production. Wow. Well, thank you, Elliot Newman. Fine, fine work. And certainly okay. pass that on to your amazing team. Thank it you. is so cool to see this show and the environment and the stories that it tells and uh, makes us appreciate, although I don't need much to guide me in that direction, appreciate the dinos even a little more. Good. Good to hear <laughs> it. Thanks, Tony. All right. Thank you. Take Cheers. care now. Look for Prehistoric Planet both seasons now on Apple TV+. Plus.